0: Places. First of all, Matthew 7, Matthew 7, and then Luke 18. So, Matthew 7 and Luke 18. This morning on this Mother's Day, we are going to stay the course on the journey that we started last week, where we're going to be walking through Matthew chapter 7. And I have to admit, there are many directions that we could go this morning. We could go to many different places in the Word that, uh, that show us what motherhood is, womanhood is. We could We could definitely go there and spend time there, but I think, or I can't think of a more needed word than the word that we come to this morning and the word that our journey brings us to today, where Jesus addresses the subject of prayer and the delight that our Heavenly Father has for us. I can't think of a more fitting word, a needed word for moms, for all of us, to be encouraged to pray like never before, and also to be reminded that we have a God who delights in us. So what I want us to do is I want us just to look at these words together today, and then we're just going to unpack them and um, just pray. We're going to leave here just encouraged, leave here um, compelled to continue to persevere in our walk with the Lord. So if you're able to, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's Word. We're going to read Matthew 7. 7 through 11, and jump over and read Luke 18, 1 through 8, and kind of just see how these two um, portions of Scripture go together other than the fact that Jesus is saying both of them. But beginning at verse 7, "'Ask, and it will be given to you. "'Seek, and you will find. "'Knock, and it will be opened to you. "'For everyone who asks receives. "'The one who seeks finds. "'And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. "'Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, "'will give him a stone?' Or, if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Then look at Luke chapter 18. So Luke, Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. And it says this, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart, And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray together. Father, in this moment, we are asking that what we do not know that you would teach us that what we do not have that you would please give to us. And we are asking, Lord, that what we are not, that you, by your Spirit and your Word, would make us. Speak, O God, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. And You may be seated. So we just read in this this picture of Matthew 7 and Luke 18, Jesus calling us to to come to him, to ask, to seek, to knock, to, to come to him, to not lose And I think the question we have to begin with and maybe even wrestle with is who is really on the other side of that call? Who is on the other side of the door that we're called to knock on? Who's going to answer? Is it going to be a a hateful, narcissistic, angry dictator who has lost his patience with us and the world that we live in that's going to open the door? Or will a, a good and gracious Loving, sovereign God open the door. I love the words of A.W. Tozer who said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church today is always God himself. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. That's pretty strong. The most revealing thing about any church is our idea, her idea of God. And let's be clear. If you want to make sure that what you believe about God is correct, let me tell you where not to start. Don't start with yourself. If you want to make sure that what you believe about God is correct, don't start with you. Don't start with your circumstances. Don't start with your ideas. Don't start with what you think might be right in the world. It's like trying to start with that which is crooked and then trying to get what's straight. If you start with what's crooked and measure by what's crooked, you're going to end up with something less crooked but never completely straight. And what's at stake here is our picture of of God is God a reluctant stranger who, that we can bully into giving us what, he, what we, we want? Is he a malicious tyrant that rejoices in his maliciousness? Or is God the old grandfather figure that gives us whatever we want and just winks at our indiscretions? Or is he a heavenly father who graciously and lovingly bestows upon us good gifts to those who ask him? think it's vitally important that we see the one who has and who is calling us to himself. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to unpack a couple of big truths and then a couple of little smaller truths to go along with them and just sit these right over us today. and. And I pray this is going to be for the mom in this room. This is going to be for everyone in in this room. And it hits us exactly where we need um, it to hit us. And we are so thankful for the living, never failing word of God. So the the first truth we're going to just lay before you today is this. We have been called by our gracious creator. We have been called by our gracious creator. A creator, let me say this, who delights in us. There are so many reasons that we don't pray the way that we should, but I believe one of the biggest reasons that we don't pray like we should is because we just can't imagine that God actually delights in us. That we can't imagine that God rejoices in us, that He, he loves us. If I were to have a question with every single one of you in this room privately, and if I were to ask you, do you really believe that God loves the world? I think every single one of you in this room would say, Yeah, John 3.16, duh, nailed that one, got it, and you would go on. But if I were to drill a little deeper and say, but does God love you? I think some of you in this room would probably stop and you would hesitate for just a moment. You would think about that. And maybe that resounding yes that you just gave wouldn't be as big of a yes. Maybe you would say yes, but maybe it would be a, yeah, I guess he does. And I think sometimes the reason we hesitate is because we have these misguided thoughts and views about God's love for us individually, meaning sometimes we become convinced that God loved a past version of us or that God will love a future version of us when we get ourself together, but for some reason we just don't think that God loves the present version of us, that he delights in us, that he... He rejoices over us. We look at our lives and we say, I fall way more than I walk. I mess this up way more than I get it right. How can God love this mess? And let me just say this this morning. God doesn't love everyone in this room except you. Let me just be clear there. God doesn't love everyone here except you. God isn't just saying, I love everyone in this room. I just if everyone knew how much of a mess you were, then they would see how, why I don't love you. That's not what God is, is saying here. In fact, let me say this. God loves you right now in this moment just as much as he did maybe 10 years ago when you thought you had it all right. Just as much. And let me say this. If you are a child of God, he has called you into a relationship with himself, and he is calling you into communion with him himself. So what I want to do is I want to just make that our aim this morning. I want to aim this at every child of God in this room. And I want to show us, according to Matthew 7, according to Luke 18, how we have been called or invited by God um, into his presence, a God who loves us and delights in us. So the first thing to see is this. We have been invited into the presence of God. Let let that sink in for a second. We have been invited into God's presence presence. We are not unwanted house guests here. We are just about five months removed from the holiday season, but there's probably some of us, when we think about the holiday season, we think about people who came to our houses. They were We invited them to come, but they probably outstayed their welcome if you know what I mean, they come, and they're the last ones to leave, and then finally, by the grace of God, you open the door, and you get them outside, and then they keep talking, and keep talking, and finally, everything happens the way it's supposed to. They get in their car, and they close the door, and the sigh of relief happens, and then they roll down the window, and it keeps going on for another 15 minutes, and you're like, Lord, help me. I know some of you are kind of confused right now. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, then you're that person. I'm just, that's just a public service announcement to you. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, then ask the person next to you. Say, am, am I that person? And then, of course, the Bible says, speak the truth in love. So say, yes, you are. And let's just move on in, in healing here. But thankfully, get this, that is not where we find ourselves before a holy God. God is not looking at us saying, "Well, you're my child, so I have to let you in because that's what we do. We even have to let crazy cousin Curtis come to our family reunions." Um so I mean, that's not the picture here. God's not saying, well, "I guess I have to let you in because you're my kid even though I w- wish I didn't. You're the one with all the the problems." No. That's not the point. We've been invited not not by a begrudging invitation or by a begrudging father, but we have been invited in sincerely by one who loves us. In fact, look at Hebrews 10:19-22 says since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of the faith. So a way into the presence of God has been opened before us and that way is through Jesus. Through his death through his burial, through his resurrection. When he died, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, meaning that we have access to God. Let me say this. That means, brothers and sisters, don't think little thoughts concerning prayer. If you think prayer, of course I can pray. Without thinking about there was a time where I could not go to God. And because of Jesus, he has opened a way for me to go directly to God. Don't think little thoughts concerning prayer. We have a way, a way has been opened up before us, and there is no way around him. His name is Jesus, but it is a precious way through him that we are able to come to him. We are able to come to his throne of grace and find grace and find help in our time of need. We've been invited to draw near. We've been invited into the presence of God. But then secondly, and get this, this is mind-blowing, we have been instructed to pester God. We've been instructed to pester God. God says, in, and or Jesus says in Matthew 7, ask, seek, knock. The Greek word literally means keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Don't stop until something happens. That's the, the point here. And then Jesus teaches us in Luke 18 to always pray and don't lose heart. And then in Luke 18, Jesus gives us this picture of a parable of a wicked judge who gave in who gave in to the widow because she would not leave him alone. And he said, the wicked judge said, even he said of himself, I'm not giving in because I fear God. And I'm not giving in because I'm a good person. I'm giving in because she won't leave me alone. And she's going to, she's going to pester me to death is what he is, is saying. And the point of the parable is this. The point of the parable is not because we can convince a wicked judge, we should be able to convince a good God. That's not the point. The point of it is everything rests upon the fact that God is different in his character than the wicked judge. And that is such a good word for us today. And the invitation to us as children of God is this. God is saying to us, get this. God is looking at us today and saying, pester me, bother me, don't quit asking, don't quit coming, don't leave me alone. Jesus is saying, pester me. And this is something I think that moms can definitely relate to, right? If anyone can relate to pestering children, it's mothers. Without a doubt, this past week, I I laughed so hard. Misty was on the phone, and Malachi was following her around, and he was going, Mom, Mom, Mom. Mom, and she's trying to talk. Mom, Mom. So finally she said, Micah, come get him. And she goes in the room and locks, shuts the door real quick. And he's hitting the door. Mom, Mom, Mom. So I grab him up. And of course, he's screaming louder. And finally I hear Misty say, can I please just call you back and figure out what's going on with him? And she opens the door. And I put him down. And he stands there. And she says, what? And he goes, <laughs> and that was it. And there there was nothing behind it. In that moment, it was, i got to get her attention, and it's so important to get her attention, I forgot why I needed to get her attention. But think about, just think about the absurdity here as well as the astonishing thing that Jesus tells us. He says, don't stop asking. And let me just say this from the bottom of my heart, as sweet as I can say this. No mom says that. Moms come in a little different way. Instead of saying, moms don't say, can you please keep asking me? Please, just keep asking me until I answer you. know, moms say, so help me. <laughs> if you ask me one more time, it's all going to break loose. I mean, we have that picture as, as well, but that's not where God goes, which shows us how glorious he is. That God is saying, I never get tired of hearing from you. That God is saying, I don't care how many times you ask me, God is saying, I don't care how many times you bring the same thing to me. Don't stop. Don't stop. Jesus is trying to get us to get our minds around the fact that God delights in us. He wants us to come to him. God is not saying, please stay away from me and and, and quit bothering me with your ridiculous stuff. God is saying, no, your your ridiculous stuff is not ridiculous to me. I care. I care. Therefore, come to me, pester me, bother me with it. Cast your cares upon me because I care. We have been called by our gracious creator, which that leads us to the second big truth, which is this. And this is so so good. We have been called into glorious communion. We have been called mom and dad and, and youth and others across this room, anybody else in any other category, we have been called into communion with this God that God is speaking to us and we are called to respond to him we are called to enjoy him we're called to look to God and to respond to the fact that he is God to respond to the fact that God is transcendent meaning he is over us he's ruling and reigning so much higher than we could ever begin to imagine but yet at the same time that he is up there ruling he is also imminent meaning he is close to us He is not disassociated. He is not somewhere up there just doing his own thing, forgetting about us. No, he is close, he is near, and he cares. And get this, when it comes to prayer, sometimes we think prayer, we think words, and that's it. But when it comes to prayer, get this, our speech is always secondary to God's speech. In fact, listen to what Eugene Peterson said. Language is spoken to us, We learn language only as we are spoken to. We are plunged at birth into a sea of language. Then slowly, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capacity to answer. Mama, Papa, bottle, blanket, yes, no. Not one of these was a first word. All speech is a answering speech. We were all spoken to before we spoke. Then he goes on to say this. The massive, overwhelming previousness of God's speech to our prayers, however obvious it is in Scripture, is not immediately obvious to us, simply because we are so much more aware of ourselves than we are of God. We are far more self-conscious than we are God-conscious, and so when we pray, what we are ordinarily conscious of is that we are getting in the first word. But our consciousness lies to us. So it requires effort, repeated, biblically shaped effort, to acquire and maintain our awareness that God spoke first. Think about this. So when you and I, when we're praying, brothers and sisters, we're not not coming to God steering the ship here. We're coming to God because God has revealed himself to us and God has told us and made us aware that we are able to even come to him. So therefore, we, we come to him. Why? Because God is so good and he says, come wants us to come but we have to understand what prayer is look at these truths first of all prayer is a declaration of dependence upon god if you look back at matthew 7 beginning of verse 7 it says ask ask and it will be given verse 8 for everyone who asks receives so we are called by god to ask but think about this the very fact that we are asking declares something about us Meaning, you don't ask unless you need something, right? You don't ask unless you need something. So what we're saying is we're needy. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the strength. We don't have all the abilities. So because we don't, we have to ask someone else for it. It's contradictory for us to ever come to God with a a self-sufficient attitude. In fact, let me say this. Prayer is always a declaration of dependence upon God. So that's what prayer is. We are making a declaration of dependence upon him. Asking is what beggars do, and according to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, get this, we're beggars. You could talk to a few people, Larry and, and myself and, and Robert and others who have been to other countries, but India is probably most prevalent. Think about beggars on the street. In India, and I, you could say the same probably, I'm sure, in Ecuador and other places, but in India, beggars have no... Um, decency whatsoever, they have they have all their pride is gone. Therefore they will literally put their heads up against the window and it doesn't matter if you say no, they will stay there the whole time the light is red. and they will just stay there and they will stare. And common wisdom would say, you might want to move on to the next car, but no, not, not them. And this picture is they're, they're persistent because they understand who they are, they understand what they have and they keep begging. And according to the Word of God, we are totally dependent upon Him. And we are desperate for Him. None of us in this room have to be asked to pray when things are terrible. In fact, when you you find yourself in a desperate situation, all of a sudden you begin to believe in prayer way more than you ever have. You you begin to be a master in, in prayer. And sometimes it leaves us I think about this. One of the most famous sports plays in all of history is rooted in prayer, and strangely enough, also kind of rooted in, in motherhood. It's what happens at the end of a football game when a team basically has just a few seconds remaining. They are 50 yards from the end zone. They're down by a, a, a few points. And, and so um, in that moment, they only have one option, and it, it is they throw up a what? They throw up a Hail Mary, they throw up a prayer. The rationale is they've done everything they could possibly do to win, and now in order to win, they need divine intervention. So in order to win, they have to put Mary in. So they say, Mary, get off the bench and get in the game. So she comes in the game, they actually throw her up. And so they throw her up and they hope that somehow someone on their team comes down with Mary and they win the ball game. Um, The problem is that doesn't happen very often, um, very seldom does it actually work unless you're a fan of Georgia, Georgia Bulldogs and we actually lost a game this year by a Hail Mary um, that could only happen to us and as you can tell I'm still bitter about it amen Wes I still, I still can't get over it but enough about me back to um, God the point is this what if what if our entire Christian lives was supposed to leave us understanding how dependent we are get this upon a God who is completely dependable Hell, Marys work 20% of the time, if that, probably even less in a football situation, but yet we have a God who is always dependable, whose will will be done 100% of the time. Therefore, we come to him. We, we understand our desperation before him. Think about this. What if everything about your Christian life Mom, what, about, what if everything in the home or outside of the home, all of us, what if everything in our, in our home, our family lives, or outside of our family lives, what if it all, all of it, were not possible without divine intervention? What if everything that God has placed before us to do in our home and outside of our home was not could not happen apart from divine intervention? And this is where I tell you, that's exactly the reality of us today because everything that God has put before us is impossible for us. It's only possible for God in us, for us dependent upon Him. But the problem is we lose our sense of desperation and dependence upon Him. But prayer is a declaration of dependence upon God. But then, secondly, prayer is also a declaration of delight in God, it's a declaration of delight. Jesus says in verse 7 and 8, Seek and you will find. The one who seeks finds. And then in verse 11 he says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I think the reality is we all really seek after what we treasure, don't we? And we will always delight in what we treasure. Yet the question becomes, do we really delight in God? Now, I'm assuming most of you in here know me, but in case you don't, Misty and I have have three children. And regardless of what they might tell you publicly, Morgan's getting a little worried up here, but regardless of what they might tell you publicly, they love us and they delight in us as their parents. I know some of you in here are thinking to yourself, well, just wait, it's coming. I would say back off. That's not where I'm at right now. So just back off. It's not where I'm at. Don't bring your bad feelings and what's happening in your place up to mine. But we're not there yet. So I'm just holding on as long as I possibly have it. So back off. I know it's coming, but let it go. But the point is, think about this. When, when you think about our children, my children, are delighting in us as parents, here's what I know. There has never been one day, one day where they have perfectly met our expectations of them. In fact, I could not believe yesterday all of our children were up before 8 o'clock and before 8 o'clock they had all blown it. I could not believe it. I'm like, go back to bed and start over. How is this even possible? How do all three have blown it and it's not even 8 o'clock in the morning? I mean, it's not a terrible thing for me to say as a parent our kids have, or continually they fall short of our expectations of them, yet... They still delight in us as their parents. They still want to hang out with us. They still want to talk with us. They still show affection towards us. And I believe the reason is, get this, is because Misty and I delight in them. The reason they delight in us is because we delight in them. We love them and are lavishing our love upon them. We want to talk to them. We want to hear what they have have to say We want to show affection for them and hopefully receive that affection. Or even if it's not um, reciprocated, continue to show that affection upon them. But I pray for their standpoint. The reason they delight in us is because we delight in them. And let me just tell you this morning, I don't care where you're at. I don't care where you think you are. God still delights in you. He still delights in you. You might be saying, no, no, he delighted in me five years ago. He does not delight in this mess. And I can assure you, by the authority of God's word, when God looks at you, if you're his child, he says, you're my child. You're my child. I delight in you. I love you because you're mine. Don't let Satan convince you that you have messed up beyond belief and that God looks at you and you're the one that he shakes his head at. He loves you. He delights you in you he rejoices over you and because he delights in you let me let me set this very clear delight in him delight in him respond to his love respond to his affection respond to his voice over your life prayer is a declaration of delight in god and then lastly number three prayer is a declaration of determination for god it says in Matthew 7, 7, and 8, knock and it will be open. For the one to the one who knocks, it will be open. So knocking is this, this picture of, of persistent prayer where we are just knocking and we're knocking and we're knocking and we say, I knocked, and nobody came to the door, but I'm gonna keep knocking because Lord, I know you're there. And I know you're there. You ever been in a situation where someone comes and they, they knock on your door? and you know it's probably somebody that you weren't expecting, so you're not going to open the door, but for some reason they keep knocking, or they keep ringing the doorbell, and then you begin to um, think of this, well, do they know I'm home? Maybe they know I'm home, so do I come to the door, or do, do I open the door and make this awkward and come up with some excuse of why I didn't answer the door 10 minutes ago? Or do I just let them know that I'm not home and just... Stay here and tell all the kids, get down, don't move, nobody talk, we don't want to answer the door. I mean, what do you do in that moment? But what God tells us to do is God says, keep knocking, don't stop, but get this, what God is telling us and what we need to hear is God doesn't become more willing to answer our prayers because of our perseverance, we become more capable of hearing from God and getting an answer because of our perseverance. Meaning persistent prayer, get this, does not change God, it changes us. Because as we begin to pray and as we keep praying and keep praying and God doesn't seem to answer what, we, what it should do is say, well, God, am I not praying according to your will? So God, if I'm not praying according to your will, then show me your will. Let, let my request in this moment line up with your will and let me pray according to that. And then it, it humbles us because we're ready for God to answer. And we're humbled in a way where only God gets the glory. So the question for us this morning is, is there a determination in your prayers? Are you asking right now, think about what you're asking God for. Are you asking for things that line up with the will of God? Are you seeking things that will ultimately bring God glory? Or are you seeking things that will bring yourself glory? Do you continually knock knowing that the one who is behind that door is good and gracious and loving and generous? Let me say this. God doesn't just give good things. God gives the best things. God gives the best things. But let me also say this. There have been times in my life where I have to admit that I would have never chosen to answer a prayer that I prayed the way that God answered it. Anyone in this room have asked God for something and it didn't go the way you were asking God to turn it? And you begin to wonder, first of all, you begin to wonder how good can God be that he didn't answer my request? And then the more you begin to realize, the more you begin to meditate upon who he is, the more you begin to realize that God is altogether good and glorious and gracious, and he's even working that together for your good and for his glory. What are you at this moment seeking the Lord for? Moms in this room, what is the desire of your heart right now concerning your home, concerning your kids, concerning all that's going on within or without? Is it lining up with the will of the Lord? And let me say if it is, don't stop. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. For others of us in this room, not blessed with the title of mom, which would be everyone else, what are we pursuing? Are you pursuing with the light the will of God? If you're not, then you, begin, you need to begin to change your prayers and ask for that. But if you are, then don't stop. In the words of Bill Thrasher, I love this. He says, perseverance in prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of God's willingness so we're not changing God's mind. We're grabbing a hold of what God is willing to do in our lives. And then he says this, our, so- our sovereign God has purposed to sometimes require persevering prayer as the means to accomplish His will. So God has purposed sometimes to require us to continue to pray in order for Him to answer. Don't give up. Continue to ask. Continue to seek. Continue to knock and do it all knowing that God delights in you. Not in the past version of you, not in the future version of you. Right now, where you sit, he loves you. I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to enter into a time of invitation, a time where we say whatever God says that we do. So let's let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in you. We thank you, God, for your love for us, that you delight in us, God. Lord, if everyone in this room, if they don't hear anything else, may they hear that, God, that you delight in your children. We're yours, O God. Your word says, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, for thus we are. We are your children, God, and you delight in your children. Help us to feel your love and to respond to that delight, God, by delighting in you. But God, whatever is going on in our lives or whatever knees are right there in front of us today, we pray you would help us to seek your will in those. And in seeking your will, God, help us to ask, to seek, to knock, and to keep doing it. To not grow weary, but to persevere for the sake of your glory. God, finish this time together today. Encourage your children. For anyone here that's not a child of God today, I pray that you would draw them in, Lord, by your love for them, by what you've done for them. Just finish this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Savior.